Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. As 28-year-old Allie Phillips tells it, she's just a regular working mom to Adelie, her six-year-old daughter. Allie runs a daycare center from her home and never considered herself to be a political person. Then came Allie's second pregnancy, which involved life-threatening complications for her and no chance of survival for her baby. As Allie was scrambling to secure an abortion in a state other than her native Tennessee, where abortions were banned, Miley, the name she had given her second daughter, died in utero. To say the whole ordeal was traumatic doesn't even begin to describe what Allie and her family went through. When she returned to Tennessee, Allie met with her state representative, who told her that he hadn't thought of situations like hers, because he thought only first pregnancies could have serious complications. She was dumbfounded by his ignorance. So she decided she needed to do more. She's running for office, and she's suing Tennessee with the help of the Center for Reproductive Rights. Allie's story is both harrowing and inspiring and shows in stark terms what happens in many states when a woman no longer has access to abortion care. Here's Allie in her own words. My name is Allie Phillips. I'm 28 years old and I live in Tennessee. I grew up here in Tennessee. I've been here my whole life. We actually grew up in a very small town. So everybody knew everybody. You couldn't do anything without the neighbor knowing. And growing up, we were a lower income family. So we didn't really do a lot of traveling or big trips and stuff like that. And when I turned 16, I got my first job at Sonic. And from there, I've just had a job ever since. 
And I've just kind of worked in food industry. I've worked in retail, just a little bit of everything, kind of public work. And then when I was 20, I was in a relationship with somebody and found out I was pregnant very early on. And that relationship ended shortly after she was born. She was two weeks old when we separated. And I was a single mom after that, not really getting help from him, but my parents helped as much as they could. I was going into my last semester of college, the time she was born. She was born in the middle of summer. And so I was a full-time college student, a newly single mom with an infant, and I was working three jobs to, one, make sure my daughter had her formula because she had a lot of digestive issues, so I had to buy the expensive formula. And I was on WIC to alleviate some of the costs, but she would intake so much formula, I had to buy a lot out of pocket. So I was working three jobs to make sure I could get through college. My daughter was fed and clothed and that we were just, our bills were paid and everything was kind of stable. Your husband, Brian Lynch, has been a wonderful stepfather to Adelie, which is so great because it sounds as if it was quite a struggle for you as a single mom with your daughter and to have rekindled your relationship with your now husband, Brian, must have been a relief for you, not only to have a partner, but also to have someone who would be a father to your daughter. Absolutely. And he actually grew up with a single mom. He's never met his father. And that is something that he has devoted his life to Adelie is making sure she never knows what it's like to not have a dad around. And I think that says a lot about him as a man. He doesn't have any biological children of his own. So Adelie is his, his only child. And he has taken it with so much grace and so much patience. 2022 was a very interesting year. We got married that March and then we bought the house that we're in right now in October. And I found out we were pregnant at the beginning of November. And so that was the timeline we kind of wanted for ourselves was get married, buy a house, and then try for a baby because we wanted to expand our family. He wanted a biological child. And so the fact that we bought the house and then two weeks later found out I was pregnant, it was just like, okay, well, we wasted no time at all. Uh, so we were really excited and we immediately called friends and family, uh, really close friends and family. But I told him that I wanted to make sure everything was okay with the pregnancy before we told like the public, before I posted on Facebook and stuff like that. Because, you know, it's never official unless it's Facebook official, right? So we went through the first trimester and everything was fine. There was never any reason for concern. And uh, we hit that 12, 13 week mark and everything is again, still was perfect. So we went ahead and made our public posts that we were expecting in July of 2023. And so the love and support that we received from friends and family was so phenomenal and it just made us that much more excited. And we had already started buying things that you need for a newborn. We have the crib, we had blankets, swaddles, pacifiers, bottles, diapers, wipes, toys, everything you can think of, we had ready to go in the garage. And it was around 15 weeks. My mom actually got me one of those 4D ultrasound gender reveal uh, little things. And so we went and did that. We were hoping for a boy since we already have a daughter, but nonetheless, we found out we were having a girl. And so we were still very excited. I told him that he just gets to be a girl dad now. And, you know, he should be proud of that. He'll get his nails painted and bows in his hair. And uh, so we started thinking about girl names. And I personally don't like the super common names. Like my daughter's name is Adelie. I don't know any other Adelie. So I wanted her to have a unique name. 
And we are both big Miley Cyrus fans. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Miley is a household name because of Miley Cyrus. But I personally don't really know. I don't know any other Miley's. It's a, it's a common known name, but I don't know any Miley's. And so I started thinking about the name Miley. And then her song Flowers had just dropped. And I was like, okay, well, let's think about a flower. And so I called my husband. Uh, he was at work. And I was like, what do you think of the name Miley Rose? And that's how the, her name came about. You all were very excited about this baby girl. We were ecstatic. We were, my, my parents were excited because they were ready for another grandbaby. This was going to be his first biological child. And I, growing up, I always wanted to have two. I always wanted to have two babies, two kids. And so I knew that this was part of my life's path was to have another child. So we were over the moon. We were so excited. When did you get the news that something was wrong with the baby? So we went to uh, our 19-week anatomy scan and we made it a family occasion because we didn't have any other reason to think it was going to be anything but a normal appointment. And so me, Brian and Adelie all went to the doctor together and it was about five minutes into my ultrasound that the technician had stopped and told me that she needed to go grab my doctor, that she had saw some pretty serious things. And her face kind of dropped and my husband looked at her and said, why do you look sad? And she just very kind of under her breath said, I just don't want to tell anybody bad news. And then she walked out of the room. Immediately, I got like a knot in my throat. My hands started getting sweaty. My heart's beating really fast. I'm like, oh my God, like this is new to me. This is only my second pregnancy. My first pregnancy was completely fine, had no issues. So I didn't know what to expect. And my OB came in so I just looked at your ultrasound images and the fetus seems to have no fluid, amniotic fluid around her. Also, both of her kidneys seem to have not formed correctly and aren't functioning. And she's measuring about 15 weeks, so about a month behind. So with that, they said that there was further testing that they wanted to be done. So they referred us over to a maternal fetal medicine specialist. And so we set up that appointment four days later. This was on February 20th last year. February 24th was that Friday. We went to Nashville for the high-risk doctor appointment, just me and Brian this time. And we go in, start the ultrasound. This ultrasound lasted a little bit longer. And again, the technician was like, I need to go grab your doctor. Just stay right here. And so she went and grabbed the doctor and one of the first things she asked me when she came in was, how was your first pregnancy? And I told her, completely normal, didn't even have morning sickness. Labor and delivery went great. She came out healthy, perfectly fine. And she was like, okay, so this is what we're looking at. The ultrasound technician put the wand back on my lower abdomen. And so as we were looking at the TV, seeing Miley in my womb, the doctor was explaining what we were looking at. She reconfirmed what my OB had said and said that there was little to no amniotic fluid around the fetus. Uh, she confirmed that both of her kidneys did not form correctly. Um, and then she did confirm that she was measuring a month behind. And, but then she continued. And she continued to say that her bladder and her stomach did not form correctly either and were not functioning. She said that they could not find lung development and she said that her heart only had two out of four working chambers in it. Now, while she was saying all of these things, in my mind, I'm going through all of the like 
okay, well, she can get a heart transplant. She can live with one kidney so we can get a kidney transplant. Um, you know, we can tube feed her, like trying to think of like everything, like, okay, these things are fixable. Like, this is okay. We can do something. But then she continued up and she went to her head and she said, and up here, we're looking at her brain. And as soon as she said, we're looking at her brain, I, I just felt my chest sink because I knew the brain is the engine uh, of your body. And if there's something wrong with the brain, there's a good possibility. It's, it's not good. And so she continued to show me on the ultrasound image that there is a line between her brain that did not completely uh, complete. And she said that her brain didn't split into two hemispheres at the early stages of pregnancy. And that is diagnosed as semi-lobar holoprosencephaly. And semi-lobar HPE, uh, only 3% of fetuses usually survive to birth with that diagnosis alone. And then they usually pass within that first year of life. So with the HPE and everything else that was wrong, she was deemed incompatible with life. And so my doctor had said that she would likely not survive outside of the womb and possibly could pass in utero. Hearing all that information, it was it was like a, a surreal kind of moment. I felt like I was in a haze. I was just kind of waiting for her to be like, just kidding. Like, she's totally fine. But like, it was just kind of one of those, it's so awful. How can this be true? And so the first thing I thought to ask was, what are we supposed to do? And she said that I had two options. She said that I could continue my pregnancy. But if I chose to continue my pregnancy, I'd be putting myself at risk for a miscarriage, a stillbirth, or if she did survive birth, she'd be put into hospice care immediately after to pass. And then she said, my other option was to terminate. She said, if you chose to terminate because of Tennessee's ban, you would have to look out of state and I cannot offer you any resources. You would have to do that on your own. And so my husband chimed in because at this point, I'm just stunned. I'm like frozen in place. And he asked her, how long does she have? Like, what are, what are the chances if we continue? How long is she going to live for? And she said that there's no way to tell. But the longer I stayed pregnant, the worse she was going to get and the higher risk my health would become. Because her growth stunted at 15 weeks, even though I was 19 weeks, Miley was never going to hit viability. So even if I stayed pregnant and I was progressing in my pregnancy, she was staying at a 15-week fetus. And so she told us that we didn't have to make a decision right then and there, uh, but to call her if we had any further questions. And then we left. They didn't really tell me specifics of what was going to cause me to be at risk. Um, I think because she stopped growing at 15 weeks and had all of these uh, fatal anomalies that the longer I stayed pregnant, she was essentially just kind of going to kind of deteriorate in my uterus, um, which is going to cause health problems for me. With the little to no amniotic fluid, at some point, the uterus is going to most likely shrink with her and it could cause infertility to happen. It could cause me to lose my uterus. And if her body, so when organs aren't working, they essentially just kind of start decaying. And so that would put me at risk for infections and things like that, possibly going septic. So they didn't really give me 
a diagnosis of like, if you stayed pregnant, you're going to end up with this. She just said, the longer I stay pregnant, the worse Miley's going to get, the higher risk my health becomes. So we drove home after the appointment. Uh, We live in Clarksville, so it's about an hour north of Nashville. And it was a very quiet drive. We didn't talk to each other. We just sat in silence, kind of reliving everything we were just told. And my parents drove up from Nashville to meet us at home because we had to break the news to my then five-year-old that her little sister wasn't coming home. And so we sat and we talked to my my parents and I talked to my husband and it was a very hard decision to come to the route of termination. I kept telling myself that I'm not in the best health as it is due to a recent surgery I had a couple years ago. I struggle with vitamins, hydration, protein, things like that uh, for a healthy body. So I knew if I was putting my life at risk, it was going to be a very challenging situation to go through. And knowing that I don't have the healthiest body as it is, I didn't want to risk leaving my five-year-old without a mom. I didn't want to risk leaving my husband without his wife. I didn't want to risk leaving my parents without their daughter. So knowing that Miley was going to die at some point, whether in utero or immediately after birth, it didn't make sense to put my life at risk too and cause so much more damage than needed. So ultimately we decided that termination was the best route to preserve my health and fertility and to keep my family stable and together. I shared my journey on TikTok, one, because I was already on TikTok before all of this happened and my followers knew that I was pregnant. And uh, the week before I had posted a video saying, my daughter's name is hidden in this video. Can you guess it? And it was me and Adelie dancing around to Miley Cyrus's song, Flowers, and Adelie was holding a rose. And so my idea was I was going to go to my anatomy scan, get new ultrasound images, come home, and then make a video with the new images stating like, this is Miley's name, or this is her name, Miley Rose, like a lot of you guys guessed it, and just kind of be like a fun reveal. Um, So we got home, that was Friday. It wasn't until Saturday when I made that follow-up video of Miley's diagnoses, because After my parents left that day, I cried myself to sleep. I didn't want to be awake. I I just wanted everything to be a nightmare and hope that I woke up and everything was going to be okay. So I went to sleep. And so the next day is when I followed up and made the video because that Monday I posted a video saying my doctor said there's some things wrong. So we're going to see a high-risk doctor. So a lot of my followers were like, keep us posted. What's the update? Hope everything's okay. Let us know what's going on. And so I wanted to update them. And I'm very transparent on my account. I don't really sugarcoat things. I'm I'm very upfront. <laughs> and so when I made that video, I didn't expect it to go viral. I didn't expect to get any sort of news media requests from it. I just wanted to update my followers on what was going on. Also, I was paying very close attention to Roe v. Wade being overturned, and I was very vocal on my account about how I felt about Tennessee's trigger ban. And so knowing that I was fighting for abortion access, never knowing I was going to need one myself, I thought it was extra important that I pointed out the fact that 
this is a non-viable pregnancy and I have to flee my state. And I wanted that reality to be documented because so many women don't talk about things like this because they're made to feel ashamed or disgusted or whatever it is society makes us feel about abortions. I wanted to make sure that one, my emotions were documented and to show how real and raw it is. So I made that video. And I think that's my most viewed video uh, as far as my pregnancy journey goes. And it went viral. It actually went international. And so I started getting media requests to talk about it. And then that amplified the story. And then I started showing up in the news uh, in news articles and people were seeing like, oh my God, this woman has to leave her state for a pregnancy that's threatening her life, a non-viable pregnancy. And so throughout the process, I wanted to make sure I documented every single moment of it, good and bad. And I did that because when you read an article, you read very minimal details. You just kind of get the overview of what happened. But me kind of vlogging what was happening to me made it so much more real for people to see the raw emotion that I was going through. One of the videos being me in New York City crying in a corner by myself. That was a video of the most raw emotion I think I've ever posted online. And a lot of people ask me why I'm putting that on the internet. And I said, because it needs to be on the internet. Because people need to see what women are going through that live in these states that have completely taken away our right to, to abortion care or just health care like that in general. So I documented it for the sole purpose of humanizing the situation. So it's not just black and white words on a screen. It's a face and a person. After this break, Allie takes us through her journey to New York City to get the medical care she couldn't get in Tennessee. If you want to get smarter every morning with a breakdown of the news and fascinating takes on health and wellness and pop culture, sign up for our daily newsletter, Wake Up Call, by going to katiecouric.com. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You had to go out of state because of Tennessee's restrictions. How did you decide to go to New York? How did you determine where you were going to get your abortion? And quite frankly, Allie, pay for it. It wasn't an easy process, I'll tell you that. Uh, So my high-risk appointment was on that Friday. That following Monday, my mom and I took the day off work to start calling clinics in different states, clinics that allowed abortions. Now, when we talk about states that allow abortions, we have to remember that not every single one of them is the same. Some states allow abortions up to 15 weeks. Some states allow it up to 20 weeks or viability. Some offer medical exceptions, some don't. So you have to call these individual states and individual clinics and truly ask them the question, like, when is your cutoff? And some of the states I or some of the clinics I called, their cutoff was 18 weeks or 15 weeks or 20 weeks. And at that point, I was going into my 20th week. And uh, I knew that I needed to go the following week because I had to give my daycare moms enough notice to find backup care for their kiddos. So I wasn't able to do it that week. Also for the simple fact of the cost. Um, So we called five different states and I ended up calling the New York abortion line and gave them the information that they asked for. And they connected me to a clinic in Manhattan. Now, another problem that women like me are facing is when calling these clinics and trying to get an appointment, there's a long wait list because not only are they seeing patients from in-state, they're seeing an influx of -of out-of-state patients as well. And not knowing how long I had before something bad happened with my pregnancy, I couldn't wait two weeks, three weeks, a month or two before I could get in for the procedure because My doctor couldn't tell me what longer meant, an hour, a month, we don't know. And so I was kind of just playing a guessing game every day with my life, not knowing when things were going to get bad. So I got a hold of this clinic in Manhattan. And one of the things I wanted to make sure the clinic was um, accommodating for was, one, I wanted to do the surgical procedure. I didn't want to do induced labor. Um, I love Miley to death but I didn't want to see her in that way. I didn't want to see her deceased. Um, And then the other thing was being able to have that coordination with a funeral home to obtain her remains to get her cremated so I could bring her home. Some clinics do not work with funeral homes. So there were a few things that I wanted to make sure were done. And this clinic was very helpful and they checked every box I needed. Midterm abortions are a two-day procedure. The first day is a lot of pre-op stuff. And the second day is the actual surgery. And once we confirmed everything was good, they told me how much it was going to be. And at 20 weeks, I was looking at around 1,000 to 1,100. And then at 21 weeks, I was looking closer to $2,000. And so it jumps a grand based off of a week. And so I was like, okay. Great. Uh, let's let's just confirm this day, and me and my husband will figure it out. So, the thousand to eleven hundred dollars for the procedure was already a lot for a low income family, and then we're looking at a three day stay in Manhattan. That's also a lot of money, 
and also round trip from Nashville to uh, LaGuardia for two people. And then taxis, Ubers, food, whatever, you know, it, it added up. It ended up being close to $5,000, uh, which we don't have anything in savings. We don't even have $5,000 in our account. So trying to pay for that was impossible for us. We started looking into taking out loans. Uh, we reached out to family, but our families aren't independently wealthy. So, you know, they could only help with a little bit. And I shared that online, how much it was going to cost. And some of my followers had suggested I start a GoFundMe. And at first, I didn't want to start a GoFundMe because it wasn't anybody else's problem but mine. And I didn't want people to think I was being like just taking money from people from my situation. But it got to the point that I was like, if I don't get to New York, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And so I bit the bullet. And I started to go fund me and I shared it online and my followers matched the goal the same day, even exceeded the goal. And so we were able to book our round trip airfare. We were able to pay for the uh, abortion and everything was covered. All costs were covered. And I was able, we were both able to take that week off of work. That's another thing is we both had to take that week off of work, which is two weeks technically of a paycheck being cut from us. So the cost is very damaging for low-income families. And that is something I've talked about with these abortion bans is these affect low-income families because if you're wealthy enough, you can just go out of state and it's not going to hurt your bank account. But for us, it's a big ask. So me and my husband flew to New York together. Adderley stayed with my parents in Nashville. And we got to New York City on that Monday and March 7th was my appointment. I had to go to that appointment alone. Because a lot of abortion clinics are patient only. One for privacy and two to just kind of keep the traffic inside the clinic down. So I had to leave my husband behind at, uh, at the apartment we were at. And then I went to the clinic. I was told I'd be there for about five or six hours that day. So to plan for a long day. And so I started the day doing blood work. Just random things that you need to do if you're going to be going under anesthesia. And I was there for a couple hours when I was called back to do my sonogram. They do the sonogram before the abortion to make sure they're charging the correct amount for the fetus size. And because that was 20 weeks, but she was measuring at 15 weeks, they just wanted to make sure they were charging me correctly. And so I went in and we, we started the ultrasound. And the difference between this ultrasound and the ones before is ultrasounds before you have the technician next to you and the sonogram machine, but then there's a TV in front of you. So you can see what the technician is seeing. In this room, there was no TV. I was just facing a brick wall. And for a moment, I was like, why is there not a TV in here? Because I was looking forward to seeing Miley again one last time. But then I, it kind of clicked in my head that some women may not want to see. And I understood. And so I lay there and I just stare at the ceiling and she starts the ultrasound. And she quickly asks me when my last ultrasound was. I told her it was about a week and three days prior. And she was like, okay. And there was a heartbeat then. And I said, yeah, there was a heartbeat. I went and got it saved in a little bunny. And she was like, oh, okay. And then she was just quiet. And I looked at her. I was like, is there not a heartbeat? And she said, no, ma'am, there's not. And um, so I sat up and I looked at her screen while she still had the wand on my on my stomach. And I said, why, she's not moving. 
And she goes, no, ma'am, she's not. And then I just, it immediately hit me and I just cried. And I cried out loud like a mom does when she finds out that her, she just lost her child. I'm sorry. And this technician helped me and she cried with me. And she told me in all the years that she's worked there, she's never had to tell a woman that her baby was already gone. And so she looked at me and she said, I need to go get the doctor and tell him what I found. If you don't mind just going back to the waiting room for a moment. So instead of going into the waiting room, I walked out of the clinic. The clinic was in on a sixth floor of a skyscraper. And I walked out of the clinic into the hallway where the elevators are. And I sat down in the corner of that hallway and I called my husband. And I had to tell my husband over the phone that his daughter was gone. And at the time, I didn't really think about this, but afterwards I realized that, yes, I was alone in that clinic, but I was surrounded by nurses and doctors that were able to comfort me. My husband was completely and utterly alone in that in that room at the apartment we were at. And so I, I told him that she was gone and... I heard his voice crack and tell me that he would um, he would talk to me later that he needed to go. And so he hung up the phone and I called my mom and because my mom was waiting for updates. And I told her what happened. And she said to me, honey, I am so sorry, but I think this is the best gift Miley could have given you because you went to New York with so much doubt and so much guilt about the decision you were making that she took all of that away from you. Because I did go to New York with guilt because I let people online get in my head saying doctors are wrong all the time, that their pregnancy was deemed incompatible, but their baby's 10 now and doing great. And I just got in my head, like, what if my doctor's wrong? What if I'm making the wrong decision here? What if I'm prematurely ending her life when she could be okay? And um, so my mom said that she took all of that away from me and she went on her own. And it still sucked at the time, but now I'm grateful that that happened because I don't have to live with that guilt anymore. My doctors were right. She wasn't compatible. And she showed us that. So within the next like 10, 15 minutes, I was called back. I was called back uh, to speak to the doctor. And the first thing he said to me was, I don't want you to blame yourself. I know you're blaming yourself right now, but please know there was nothing you could have done differently to change this outcome. But then he continued to say, because my last confirmed fetal heartbeat was almost two weeks ago, there's a two-week window when a fetus dies that when your body doesn't recognize it, you're now at risk for blood clots, infections, and going septic. And since they can't confirm when her heart actually stopped, they have to go off the last fetal heartbeat. And um, so he said that because of that risk, I was now at a higher risk because I was closer to that two weeks, uh, that they wanted to push my abortion that same day instead of the next day. So he did a pelvic exam, a quick pelvic exam to feel my cervix. And he said that my cervix is very hard. Normally, they give you a cervix softener to go home with and take the night before. And he said that due to my cervix being so hard, they're going to try 
but they may not be able to get through my cervix today. And if that's the case, they'll give me the medication and the spacers to go home and then come back first thing the next morning. So I was going into the surgery, not knowing if it was going to be successful or not. After he said that, it was very quick. I went and signed paperwork for the anesthesia. I had to undress and put a gown on. And then I was in the surgery room and I climbed up in the bed and the anesthesia anesthesiologist came in and told me that I was going to go to sleep. And that's what I did. And I woke up, um, not in the same room, not in the same bed. And there was a nurse standing next to me. And immediately when I woke up, I felt the pain in my lower abdomen. And she said, Miss Phillips, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm in a lot of pain. And she said, that is normal. Um, And then I cut her off and I said, was the surgery successful? She said, yes, ma'am, the surgery was successful. And I said, so I'm not pregnant anymore? She goes, no, ma'am, you're not. And then, of course, I just started crying again because that reality hit that I, I came to New York pregnant and I was leaving. I was leaving not pregnant. When I got back home from New York, postpartum depression hits whether you had your baby or not. Um, And I've already struggled with depression since I was 14. Um, I've been on medication for it. Um, So my mental health was already in a rough space. Getting back from New York, I ended up taking an extra week uh, from the daycare center I run from my home because I I just couldn't function as a person. And I was struggling with suicidal thoughts. I didn't want to be in a world without Miley. And my daycare, I took care of four kids under the age of three. So one of them being an eight-month-old baby at the time. And I just knew if I saw a young baby, it would just kind of shove that knife in deeper. And so I continued to share my journey on TikTok. And my grief went from heartache to being very angry. After that two weeks, it it took a very stern conversation from my mom and husband to tell me that me laying in bed isn't going to bring Miley back. Adelie was losing her mom. I needed to get up, get myself together and get back in a part of life. And so I didn't want to neglect Adelie any longer than I already was. So I pulled myself together the best I could, but I got very angry and I got angry because what I went through, I shouldn't have had to gone through. I shouldn't have had to been in a different state. I shouldn't have had to figure out logistics to fly to a clinic. I shouldn't have been alone when I went through surgery and sat in recovery. I shouldn't have had to go through any of that. I should have been able to get a procedure here in my home state and go home and sleep in my own bed surrounded by my husband and daughter. But that that wasn't the case because male politicians think they know what's best for women. And so I turned my anger into more vocal activism and more of my videos started gaining traction. And the Center for Reproductive Rights had reached out to me because they currently had a case in Texas with women. And they asked me if I'd be interested in suing Tennessee. Yes, immediately. I didn't even think about my answer. I said yes, because I wanted Miley, I wanted her story to be the change that happens. 
And so while I was starting the process of being a plaintiff in a legal case, I started thinking about what I could do on a lower level uh, just as a citizen. And so I thought of Miley's Law. And Miley's Law essentially would just give exceptions back to parents when diagnosed with fetal anomalies. For me, exceptions aren't enough. But I know being in a majority GOP state, just banning the ban altogether wasn't going to be possible. So I figured if I could throw them a bone and we take some baby steps, that that would be the best course. And so I met with my representative on June 8th last year, and I told him my story. We sat in a two-hour meeting. I told him my story, and I told him my idea for Miley's Law. And I asked for his help to create the bill, because I've never written a bill before. I have no idea how to do that. And so I wanted his help to write that bill and get it up to the legislator. And he said he would help me. And during that conversation, I kind of confirmed the thoughts I already had about our male lawmakers. I had told him that I already had a daughter here and that this was my second pregnancy that I lost. And he said, wait a second. And I quote this, I'm just a man, but I only thought it was the first pregnancies that could go bad. And I said, first pregnancies can go bad. Any pregnancy can go bad, though. It's not just the first pregnancy. He was told that it was just first pregnancies that go bad. And so it didn't make sense to him why my second pregnancy failed. On top of that, I tried to humanize my story with him because he made sure to tell me that he is pro-life and that I wasn't going to make him pro-choice. And I said, I'm not trying to make you pro-choice. I'm just trying to make you understand what I went through. And he has a daughter who's not much younger than me. So she's 25, I think. And she doesn't have any children. And so I was like, great. Imagine this was her first pregnancy. And she called you and told you everything I just told you. Told you that her pregnancy wasn't viable and that if she continued, it was putting her life at risk. What advice would you give her? And he told me that I wasn't going to like his answer. And I said, I want to hear it. What advice would you give your daughter? And he said that the way he grew up is that he would tell her that he thinks she should continue her pregnancy. And I said, even if it's putting her life at risk. And he said, that's just how I grew up. And I said, and what happens if she gets the abortion? Are you going to disown her? He said, I wouldn't disown her, but I wouldn't be happy with her. And I think at that moment, it solidified for me that if these representatives don't even care about their own child's well-being, they sure as hell don't care about the rest of us. And so after that meeting, I followed up with him a few times, asking him where we were on him helping me, where we were on these meetings, like what's next. And I kept getting the runaround. And I think it was after a month or two, roughly, I messaged him one final time and said, what are we doing? Like, are you helping me or not? And he said that there's really nothing he can do until the session starts back in January. And I said, so women in Tennessee are just supposed to suffer and die until January? And he never responded to me. And so that moment again, I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to sit around and wait for a man to help me do anything. I'm going to do it myself. And that's when people started telling me I should run for office. Now, being a politician or being an elected official in any capacity was never something I thought I would do in my life. I went to school for journalism. I wanted to be a reporter. I wanted to write stories. That was, that. that's my calling, I thought. <laughs> um, and so 
people started to, my mom was the first one to suggest it. And I was like, you're crazy. And she was like, no, but actually like you have the passion. You're very well-spoken. You have the heart. You're very relatable and people listen to you. You already have the following and the platform. She's like, why not? It's like, why would I? I personally don't like politics. The most I've ever done with politics is go out and vote. And I thought I was doing my due diligence. Um, But more and more people started coming up to me and saying, have you ever thought about running for office? You should really think about running for office. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, do you guys just not have anybody else to run? Is that what's going on here? And I will say there wasn't like a aha moment for me. It was kind of, I was building this tier and with every layer gave me another reason to decide to run for office. These reasons being, as I was on TikTok, I would also share other women's stories from Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, Idaho, people, other women having to flee their states or being denied abortion access in their states. And it was the 10-year-old girl who was raped and had to go across state lines to get an abortion that really hit me. And I was like, my daughter now at that point was six. She's very close to that age. I know what I went through as a 28-year-old woman I could not imagine the trauma and the damage that does to a 10-year-old girl. And that was the biggest slab for me was to be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to consider it. And then it came into, there's other things that I care about. My daughter, like I said before, is autistic. So she has an IEP in her school. She's special needs. She's in a public school. Our state is currently trying to implement a voucher program that would take public school funding and put it into private schools. Our public schools are already underfunded. And when you take away more funding, that takes away these things like IEP assistance and these resources for kids that have disabilities. So I was like, that's going to affect my daughter. That's going to affect my life. And then the fact that my six-year-old is scared to go to school some days because she does these active shooter drills. And the fact that I'm scared, she's not going to come home some days. I try to remember what clothes she's wearing. I don't buy her light up shoes because I don't want her to be seen in a dark room. These are very real things that American moms have to worry about. And then I realized I run an in-home daycare for the simple fact that I know how hard it is to pay for daycare as a single mom because I did it for three years. And there are so many more things. I didn't get a maternity leave. I took two weeks off of work when I had Adelie to heal. I didn't get paid for those two weeks. Those were two weeks unpaid. And then I went back to work when she was two weeks old. And so I was like, there are so many things that I just kind of lived through and accepted because it is what it is. What am I going to do to change it? And then that's when I really started to accept that what our state is doing to women, families, and children is so far beyond unacceptable then I can't just sit here and complain on TikTok anymore. I can't just sit here and vote for the blue guy anymore. I have got to be in one of those seats making decisions. When we come back, Allie breaks down her campaign strategy and shares some of the reactions she's getting from voters. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. 
some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I actually announced earlier than uh, what many people did because my opponent is very wealthy and can self-fund his own campaign. I wanted to make sure I had enough time to fundraise as much as I could. So I announced uh, over a year before the election. So majority of what I've been doing is solely been online. I posted my campaign launch video and I've been doing interviews like this that talks about my campaign and my story. And we have... It's public now, but we have raised over $90,000 in the first like two and a half, three months, which is crazy for a small local election for somebody that's never ran for office before. Now that we're in January, I have done community events. I've done fundraisers. I've been to other people's fundraisers. I've been to community meetings and things like that. School board meetings. I just went to a teacher union meeting last night and heard their concerns. But now that we're in January and actually in the election year... Now I'm going in like feet on the ground. I pulled my petition, I think in a week or two, and I'll be going and knocking on doors to get signatures so I can officially be on the ballot. And so I'm going to be hosting roundtable discussions with different community organizations in my area and asking them, what is it that you think needs to be improved? What is it that you're concerned about? I'm taking my story and putting it on the back burner. My story's been told enough. Now I want to hear from them. One of the things that just recently came out on Wednesday from the Journal of American Medicine was that there are around 65,000 women and girls with rape-related pregnancies. And these are just coming from the 14 states that have a ban or a restriction on abortion access. So, and these are these are the women and, and girls that have reported it. So how many are unreported? How many have just gone unnoticed? And so I think that brings a new light and a new fact to people that say, oh, rape-related rape, rape related, uh, abortions are so rare. They're, they're, they don't happen that often. 65,000 women and girls have come forward just within the last year or so since Roe was overturned. 
The thing with the argument of it being birth control is for some women, it may be. It may be that they accidentally got pregnant or, you know, took precautions to not get pregnant, but they still ended up pregnant and they don't want to be pregnant. And so, yeah, it could be used as a form of birth control for some women, but to ban a life-saving procedure for the woman who is going septic and bleeding out because you don't want your neighbor to go get an abortion because she accidentally got pregnant doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The thing with abortion that people need to understand is it is a medical procedure, whether that fetus is dead or alive. I've had so many people in my comments telling me, well, your baby died. You didn't get an abortion. She was already dead. And I'm like, that is such a illogical explanation of what an abortion is. The abortion is literally the procedure, the removal of the fetal tissue. So when I have to tell people, no, I still had an abortion. It doesn't matter that she was dead. It doesn't matter if they're alive. It is still the same process. Some people listen, some people don't. But another way I try to humanize it to people is we can't pick and choose who gets healthcare and when. For example, if you have two patients that are diagnosed with cancer, one of them being a sta like stage one, one of them being a stage four, you don't get to look at the stage one patient and say, Mm, you're not sick enough. We're not going to let you have chemo. And but then give the stage four patient chemo because now you're just taking away that stage one patient, their ability to get health care and preserve their health. We want to be proactive um, and not reactive. But the whole point of choice isn't being pro-abortion. That's something that I tell I tell people all the time. You can be pro-choice without being pro-abortion. Being pro-choice is literally supporting women having the right to choose, whether that be they need an abortion or want an abortion, whether that be they want to have the baby and keep it, or whether that be they want to put it up for adoption. It's whatever works best for that woman that you support their right to choose. And when you take away that right, you start seeing things like women dying. You start seeing things like rape increasing because there's there's no penalty because how many convictions actually have happened from those 65,000 rapes that were recorded? How many? And that's the problem we face as women as well is coming forward when we are raped and being believed. This has become so important to me because I am a mom. And as a mom, it's my job to protect my children. And my daughter is growing up in this state and she may raise her own family in this state. And it's my job to make sure that she's protected and cared for. And so running for office, I don't know if I'm going to win my election. I hope I do. But showing her that just because something is doesn't mean it has to be. If you know in your heart that something is wrong and it's hurting people, you have the right to stand up and speak out. And so I hope I'm leaving a legacy for my daughter to be active and be uh, loud about the things she cares about and to never give up, no matter how many people try to tear her down. The fact that I'm making so many people mad on the other side tells me I'm doing something right. So this is important for me now. I feel like this is my purpose to keep Miley's name alive and to push Miley's law and to just push the fact that abortions are healthcare, no matter how you look at it, and to normalize the word abortion. The stigma that's been on it has been on it far too long. And I just want to make sure that women and children across this state and across this country are not being attacked and having rights taken away. Because at this point, we feel like second-class citizens.
and it's not okay. It's not okay. But I just hope that it's enough. And if it's not, I'm going to keep fighting until it is. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have a question for me, a subject you want us to cover, or you want to share your thoughts about how you navigate this crazy world, reach out. You can leave a short message at 609-512-5505, or you can send me a DM on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. Next Question is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. Our supervising producer is Ryan Marks. And our producers are Adriana Fazio and Meredith Barnes. Julian Weller composed our theme music. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to the description in the podcast app or visit us at katiecouric.com. You can also find me on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter.